Anyway, uh, hey, before we jump into uh, this series uh, this week, um, occasionally I do this where I give you kind of a, a quick overview of who we are as a church and why we do what we do. And so, well, let me just do that really briefly, and I, I was pretty brief uh, in the early service, so I want to see if I can uh, do this pretty well. So here we go as an overview of who we are and what we believe. So Jesus uh, was all about this thing called salvation, which at its core, that word sa- uh, save in Greek refers to healing, and it's a comprehensive healing. It's a well-being for everybody, not just as individuals, but in relationships, in families, between nations, between our relationship, between us and the created order, all of it. So think that's what shalom is. That's what this whole salvation project is all about. Jesus came to talk about that, to live that, to perpetuate it, to make it happen, to facilitate it in every way, which was always a choice. So anytime he asked a disciple, come and follow me, it's a decision for them or not to say, I want to be a part of what you're up to. It's not just about going to heaven. It's about our lives right here, right now, and everybody else getting along better in a shalom kind of way. How he did that, how he set up his life according to Gospel John, there were five major movements that we emphasize around here at Crosswalk. The first is to stretch in our learning. That comes from two stories back to back in John 3 and 4. First, you have Jesus talking with a very well-educated rabbi named Nicodemus. He comes under cover of night to figure out who Jesus is and has his mind blown and realizes, okay, there's more going on here than we thought. Right after that, Jesus has a, con- a conversation with a Samaritan woman, somebody he shouldn't have been talking to in the first place. Her mind is blown and her life is changed. We learn from these two things that this mind-blowing thing is probably what we need to be about. And so we commit to Jesus and following Jesus in lifelong learning. That's why I make you read books and we want to think about stuff and talk about stuff. But it's not just about learning stuff, it's about serving. So in the next couple chapters, you have Jesus just doing all manner of service projects with people. He's kneeling in service and giving them food. He's healing people. He's teaching people. These aren't necessarily people he's going to go deep with. They're just, he's just using his gifts to help people. So around Crosswalk, we know that kneeling in service is a really important thing. So, so far, we have stretching our thinking. We have kneeling in service. And then it goes to this piece called grace and justice. On an individual level, grace simply means this, that we recognize that people are hurting and need of help. Uh, sometimes it's grace, like a forgiveness kind of thing. Sometimes it's just uh, a deeper kind of a thing. And so we have two stories back to back with Jesus. First is a woman who's caught in adultery, and the religious leaders use her as a pawn piece in front of Jesus, saying, the law tells us to stone such women. What do you think we should do? They think they have checkmate. Jesus gets furious at this. He goes down, scribbles, takes a minute to uh, calm himself down, scribbling in the sand. And then he says to the, to the audience there, you who are sinless among you cast the first stone. Checkmate on the checkmate. They all walk, <laughs> they all slowly walk away. Well, what was going on here with this woman? Uh, he is extending grace to this woman who's being treated like a, a pawn. That's horribly inhumane. That is an expression of grace, seeing people who are struggling, being used, and helping them back up. In the very next chapter, you have Jesus talking to a guy who was born blind. Well, back in antiquity, they thought that that blindness represented sin, either from the parents or the grandparents or maybe even the child in utero somehow. There's a, <laughs> actually a little caveat there in rabbinical history. And Jesus cancels that by taking care of his healing because this guy was not treated well by his community. And in bringing healing to this guy, it actually brought more than just healing for him. It brought healing of eyes and ways of seeing and being. 
and it challenged the system that was keeping him right where it was. Grace is an individual thing, but when we do that for an entire people group, that's called justice. And Jesus was all about it. So we have stretch, we have kneel, we have grace and justice. And then we get to this thing called connecting or connection or just plain old connect. This is represented in Jesus breaking away from his ministry to go to a quiet place. Sometimes he does it like a whole camping trip, like he did with that picture. Uh, right after his baptism, takes a camping trip to sort things out. Most of the time, he just breaks away for solitude, contemplation, meditation, just to be alone, to sort out his thoughts, to be quiet, to listen for the Spirit of God, and he instructed his disciples to do the same thing, to connect with God. He has a whole uh, piece in John chapter 15 where he talks about, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you're not going to do much. And he's talking about our connection with God. And so we know that if we're going to follow Jesus, it means we have to carve time in our lives to be still and quiet for meditation, contemplation, being still and quiet so we can hear <laughs> what God is saying. And the final piece has to do with being an incarnate community, being a spiritual community. And you have a range of stories that all bring this together. One of them is a story of celebration where this woman, Mary, is celebrating Jesus and honoring him by dumping a bunch of perfume over his head. Sounds weird, but it's, a, it's really this beautiful moment. And the, the other disciples rip on him for it because it was very expensive. And Jesus says, no, she's doing the right thing. Uh, they don't know that he's going to die soon. He's going to be smelling that incredible perfume with his very last breaths. Uh, an expression of gratitude. Well, that wasn't the only person or the only moment where this divine community uh, took place. Uh, a little bit further on uh, in, this, in this week, you have Jesus around a table, breaking bread with people, uh, introducing communion. And who's around that table? Well, a guy named Peter, who's going to deny even knowing Jesus before too long. And a guy named Judas, who also was given bread, who Jesus knew was going to betray him. So this divine community represents us being together through thick and thin, through the joys, but also through the struggles, our griefs, our apostasy, <laughs> our rawness, our mistakes, the whole thing. When we do that, we find ourselves in step with Jesus. And when we do that, we find ourselves a part of this massive salvation project of bringing more and more shalom into the world. Amen. All right. Hey, I beat 30 seconds. Not bad. All right. <laughs> so that's what we try to do here. And uh, if that resonates with you, then help us figure out how to do this better and smarter because that's, uh, that's what the whole thing is about. Uh, some of us were raised in an idea that it was really just about getting your sins forgiven so you can go to heaven. That is great news, and that's a part of what Jesus said, is there's more beyond this, and we are already buoyed by the grace of God, and that grace of God will call us home someday. So thank God for that. We can look forward to that. But it was so much bigger than that, and so that's what we're all about. This series is to help us kind of dial into that, learning from uh, three greats, St. Francis of Assisi, Claire, uh, who was uh, his disciple and then became uh, kind, of a, kind of a mentor to him a little bit. Uh, she spent her life in a convent and instructed him to help him sort out some decisions. And then later on, a guy named Bonaventure uh, studied their work and made that widespread for more people. So there is still a Franciscan branch within Catholicism that is beautiful. Uh, and I love it. I follow a guy named Richard Rohr, as Jenny mentioned. 
and he's in that Franciscan tradition. And so it's wonderful stuff. So in this book, I'm going to try to give you some nuggets that I found along the way. It's hardly not an exhaustive list of great quotes and stuff, but I think a couple things. And then uh, we're going to look at some scripture that churches all around the world are looking at today, and then we'll kind of mix it up into our stew, wondering how does this make any sense for us today. Okay, one of the uh, verses that uh, Epperly gave us in his book was this. This comes out of Luke 2.52. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. This is how Luke summarizes all of the very scant verses we have on Jesus' childhood. We, we essentially know nothing about Jesus' childhood. Nothing. Uh, we, we really start with Mark, who gives us Jesus as an adult, and we see what's going on there. But what Luke at least gives us is this, which makes total sense, because if Jesus was a real jerk, he probably wouldn't, you know, there's this old saying, a leader without any followers is just a guy taking a walk. <laughs> well, Jesus had a lot of followers, so, and it's because of this. He grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. And I think it's because he chose to live his life uh, attuned and aligned with the Spirit of God. And I think he modeled what Paul would later instruct uh, the Roman church to do, which is don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. This is a beauty to put on your breakfast table to read again and again and again as you're eating your Cheerios or on your refrigerator or on your mirror or you cut this out and put it as a bookmark in your book because this is gold. This is lifelong learning right here. How are we learning from the Spirit of God to be more and more whole people. Well, one of the passages of Scripture that uh, we see uh, being used all over the world comes from the Gospel of Mark today, and it is uh, dense uh, with meaning. Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. So this is very, very early in Jesus' ministry. When the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. So what is being noted here by uh, the author of Mark uh, is this, that most scribes in their day, they would kind of give an overview report about what multiple scholars said about a particular verse or a particular topic, and they'd kind of leave it at that. Well, Jesus knew these voices himself. Uh, he quotes some of them. He's aligned with one in particular. He knows their interpretations of Scripture, and he challenges it at one point in his Sermon on the Mount. He says, you have heard it said, boop -a -doop -a -doop. and then he says, but I tell you a new way of thinking about this, and he would say it. That's an expression of what we see here, and that meant that the people were recognizing this guy is informed, but he's also speaking of his own wisdom experience now. In academic circles uh, today, starting in high school, really, and on uh, into college and graduate work and postgraduate work, all that stuff, uh, your job as a student is not to sit down in your master's level course and the professor says, uh, tell me about atonement. And you just write down off the top of your head, well, this is what I think. First, it's a long word that nobody uses. And you go on and on and on. Give your opinions about these things. If you presented that paper to your professor, he would crumple it up and throw it right back in your face and say, I don't really care about your opinion right now. I want to know if you know everybody else's opinion right now. What are the leading thoughts on this subject? I want to know if you've mastered this stuff before you get your master's degree. 
Once you've mastered this stuff and once you're aware of what other people are saying about this, well, then let's talk. But until you have uh, some grasp of what others are saying, I don't really care about your opinion all that much. It doesn't devalue as a person. It just means that the professor's saying, my job is to make sure you're aware. And then I want to know that you're informed so that what you're saying uh, has some kind of foundation to it. And that's all the way through doctoral work. Uh, they're looking for that. Before you offer your idea or your interpretation, <laughs> you need to show that you have done your homework, that you've done the research that's helping you come to your conclusions. You're standing, whether you know it or not, you are standing on the shoulders of many, many people behind you and beneath you. Uh, scholastic effort, academic effort, is to help identify those shoulders so that you know how you're influenced uh, which is going to make your thought. Jesus is saying here, and they're recognizing this, that okay, this guy knows his stuff, and now he is branching out and saying, I've got something new to say. Suddenly, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Oops. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus reprimanded him. Be quiet. Come out of the man, he ordered. At that, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, and then came out of him. Uh, just a quick little contextual note here. Some of us read this, and we freak out a little bit because we're wondering, oh my goodness, is this still happening today? Is, did that happen then? Uh, in antiquity, this could have represented many things. And there are still Christian traditions today that fully believe in demonic possession, and they do their prayers of exorcism and all that. And if you're comfortable with that, and that's, that's part of your, your worldview and all that, that's fine. But there are a lot of people that have a hard time uh, interpreting that in modern society because we know that there are a range of things that can cause that kind of behavior. Some mental health concerns, could be body chemical stuff. There's all kinds of things that can cause a person to do uh, this sort of thing. What I hope you'll see here, and the most important thing to see here, and what Mark is really wanting us to see here, he's not wanting us because in his culture, nobody questioned the demonic possession thing. So it was a non-issue for them. <laughs> It'd just be like us talking about, you know, needing some meds for some, a mental health crisis kind of thing. We would just hear that and say, oh yeah, moving on. Well, what's Jesus doing here? What you need to see here is that Jesus is moving in to bring healing to a person who is struggling. That's what you need to see. He's bringing healing into a place where a person was possessed by something. Because, believe it or not, we can relate to that. Well, amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this, they asked excitedly. It has such authority. Even evil spirits obey his orders. The news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. So Jesus is simply, this is like right out of the gate, he's... His life is a proof text. Uh, God is working through me, which is a massive endorsement from the very Spirit of God to say, uh, this is what I'm about, this is what I'm doing, and based on the things you've heard me say and now you've seen me do, uh, what more proof do you need? And for the people back then, that was important, and for people today, it's still important. Now, I told you um, that we need to see Jesus as a guy who's coming along and helping people who are possessed. Now, you may not consider yourself possessed by an evil spirit. You may not use that language anymore to make sense of things. But let me tell you, we're all possessed by something. 
some of us are possessed, we are controlled, we are afflicted and inflicted uh, by mental health struggle. And naming it and calling it and acknowledging it is right and good. If you've got a, a strained muscle or a sprained wrist or a torn ligament, we don't bat an eye talking about, oh, well, we need help with that. That's the thing that's possessing me is the pain in my arm or my ankle or my chest or whatever the thing might be. We go get help. With mental health, it's the same way. If you're struggling with anxiety or depression or something else, that's okay. Acknowledge it and get the help that you need so that it is having less control over who you are and, and who you're wanting to become. There's healing there, and the Spirit of God leads us in that direction. But some of us are possessed by other things. Uh, beyond mental health or physical health, some of us it's substances of different kinds. And just acknowledging that is a first step in overcoming it. We are all possessed in different degrees uh, by all things that we are just naturally swimming in because of enculturation ways of thinking about the world and how things work and how it's ordered. I'm not talking about the celestial word. I'm talking about how the world works. You and I all, if we've grown up in these United States, are Westerners, we're first world, we're capitalists, we're consumers. We have a democratic ideology, the way we think. There is an American way of thinking. And that possesses us in a particular way. It shapes our eyes. It motivates our behavior. And only when we recognize how it's motivated us do we have any way to really challenge it or to nuance it or to wonder, is this healthy or not? Some of us have been given eyes that we're possessed of seeing people in a particular way that is not healthy or good. We're all possessed by something, friends. Maybe it was trauma that's been messing with you your whole life. It may be a lifelong project of dealing with. We're all possessed by something, and the good news of Jesus is Jesus walks in to help bring release and healing from all of that which possesses us. And that's good news. And how did he do it? What did it look like? Well, Jesus spoke with personal authority, no longer stating what former experts had said before, not alone anyway. His words, actions, attitude, healing, everything about him was aligned and attuned with shalom. And so the question then uh, for us is, how's our alignment and attunement with God? In our effort to become more mature, uh, to grow in stature, and to be in favor with God and all the people. Uh, Bruce Epperly's mentor, Bernard Loomer, from the book, said this, If a religious institution or belief system is small, that is, cramped intellectually and relationally, it should be discarded as irrelevant and injurious to individuals and communities. By size, I mean the stature of a person's soul, the range and depth of his love, his capacity for relationships. I mean the volume of life you can take into your being and still maintain your integrity and individuality. The intensity and variety of outlook you can entertain and the unity of your being without feeling defensive or insecure. I mean the strength of your spirit to encourage others to become freer in the development of their diversity and uniqueness. That's what we're talking about stature, the bigness of the person. Uh, and uh, Epperly gets onto this his, in his own words. Stature is not relativism, but empathetic relation, r relatedness. What a, what a phrase. Empathetic, heartfelt, compassionate relatedness, relationship to the other. 
When we make judgments related to others' behaviors and beliefs or institutional and political choices, we are guided by love as well as critique. This next line is so important. Should have highlighted it. We recognize our moral and spiritual limitations as well as the moral and spiritual limitations of those whom we challenge. In other words, we recognize that we're all a mess, <laughs> that none of us see everything absolutely right. And so even as we speak what we think is truth to others, we also have a little asterisk with it to say, this is how I'm seeing it. I'm wondering how you're seeing it. I'm concerned about what I'm seeing here, recognizing that I could be as full of it as the next person. <laughs> you know, I think that's a healthy approach. Bruce says, we realize the challenging in, that challenging injustice is necessary to liberate both oppressor and oppressed, that there is something liberating in our confession that we don't have it all together. For Francis and Claire, spiritual poverty involved the interplay of simplicity and fruitfulness to let in God's light and reflect that light to others. We, therefore, need to prune everything that prevents us from experiencing God's presence in our lives. We need to quiet the voice of conflict, lure of consumerism, attraction of recognition and fame, and lust for power and possession to hear the voice of God. These are our Western culture egocentric pruning things that need to happen. We need to be sure that our lives touch the earth lightly, that we care for the planet and work to ensure that everyone has sufficient food and housing. We need to eliminate the detritus that sullies the doors of perception, trapping us in shadows rather than freeing us for God's sunlight. Uh, if you're like me, uh, I cannot remember if I've ever used the word detritus. <laughs> so I was like, detritus, detritus. I'm getting the context, I kind of figured it out, but it refers to rubbish. Uh, all the junk that's in our lives that clouds our, our airspace and our vision and our capacity to understand what God is saying to us. This is the work. This is what Jesus did with his life. He found himself with a pile of detritus, you know, at his doorstep uh, one day and couldn't see it until a Syrophoenician woman pointed it out to him. You're looking at me through race-colored glasses, Jesus. And Jesus was like, ugh. That's some serious detritus. And he got rid of it. And it changed the way his future went and his massive inclusion that he welcomed to everybody. Well, before we apply this, uh, Bruce in his uh, wisdom gives us and invites us into this prayer. God, whose energy brought forth the universe in all its wonder and glory, whose wisdom guided the evolutionary process, whose love embraced humankind and all creation in its beauty and waywardness, bless my journey. Help me to walk the path of Jesus, growing in wisdom and stature each day, expanding my circle of compassion and trusting you in all the seasons of life. Amen. Well, you're not out of here yet. <laughs> so I've been thinking about this in terms of, you know, what is our call? And if our call as Jesus followers is to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, then that means that we are called to this ongoing, lifelong process of maturation of growing our stature in, in the framework of God that is beautiful and lovely and empowering and in favor of God and all people. And that doesn't mean winning the favor of God. You're already favored for the rest of your life by God. That, that's grace. That's the love of God. But in terms of being aligned and attuned, that's another thing. And, uh, you know, the reason I asked you, you know, what would you get in trouble for, you know, when you're a kid is that for most of us, 
we learn wisdom the hard way. <laughs> we are changed because we made mistakes. Uh, we ran into the wall enough times that our nose finally said, ouch, strong enough that we had to change our behavior. It's hitting the proverbial bottom of the barrel before we finally decide, all right, enough of that. Now, sometimes there are radical things that are joy-based and wonder-based that can also change our footsteps and our attitude and our perspective on all that stuff. I like falling in love. That's, that's a big one. All of a sudden, our world is wonderful and rosy. You know, we're Hallmark Channel for a moment there, uh, and that's all good. Uh, sometimes it's the birth of a baby, either our own or somebody that we love, and we see this new little creature bopping around as like, wow, you know, and we're just blown away by that. Sometimes it's nature. You know, I grew up in Kansas, and uh, northeastern Kansas, it's actually quite lovely. It's a, it's a beautiful space, but you get west of Topeka on I-70, and you're going to go for about six hours straight wondering, are there any trees on the surface of Mars here? Because there is nothing to see for that long. It's astonishing how much nothing is there. You didn't know nothing could be so big until you've gone into western Kansas and see next week's weather <laughs> coming from Colorado. I mean, that's Kansas. So when we would take trips either to the Rockies in uh, Colorado, uh, I mean, my eyes were like saucers because it was just like, oh my gosh, behold the beauty of God here. You know, it was incredible. Or oceans were just magnificent. And sometimes we have such an experience of the divine in nature that it does uh, change our outlook. It inspires us. It gives us hope. We feel touched and changed by that. But most of us, it's because of difficult things. And uh, I wish I could say that just age alone uh, will make us wise. In fact, uh, I do want to congratulate you uh, because you made it to today. It is January 28, 2024, and you did it! Woohoo! And you managed to get up today. You put clothes on, thank you, uh, to get to this space uh, today. Uh, and, and it's not just today. Think of all that you've done. Somehow, with the help of others, you crawled out of your, your mother's womb. <laughs> uh, you immediately express your needs and wants with crying and wailing and all this stuff to get everyone's attention that you needed something. Uh, over time, you learn to eat. You learn to drink. You learn to bathe yourself. You learn to clothe yourself. You learned... Uh, again and again and again, and you even gained wisdom along the way. All of you are wiser than when you started, and for the most part, it's because of train wrecks, <laughs> great and small, in your life that you learned. But age and wisdom, while certain uh, modicum of, of wisdom certainly comes with age, that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody is equally wise. You know what I'm talking about? I don't know if you're like me, but I've come across some, you know, some octogenarians uh, who are, have the wisdom of a 14-year-old <laughs> in the way they handle conflict, in the way they handle money, in the way they see the world. Uh, and so that is a reminder constantly to me uh, that we are capable of incredible immaturity even as we advance in age. The question is, what do we got to do? What is necessary for us to grow in maturity and wisdom and stature in such a way that is favorable in the eyes of God and favorable with everybody else. And the bummer is, is that for that kind of depth of maturity that I think Jesus represented, it takes work. There's no way uh, to get from A to C 
except through B. You can't hop over it. As much as we'd like to, for the most part, that's not how it works. Some people have a Satori moment, and they're radically changed like Paul in Damascus, you know, had his light from, from God. But even then, he had to learn how to walk again, how to walk in faith. He had to be taught by the disciples this whole new way of seeing and thinking. So even in those moments, we've got some work to do. And so if you're one of those folks that likes homework and likes to know, all right, what do I got to do? Or well, a simple task for you to do. Uh, and that is simply, at the end of your day, uh, grab a notebook, sheet of paper, whatever, uh, grease board if you want to erase everything so nobody knows your deep, dark secrets, that's fine too. Uh, and I just re record your day. How are your interactions that day? How is your maturity that day? And go through different sectors. And what you're going to find out is you may have sectors of your life on any given day that you just shown. You are brilliant and so mature. And you'd say, that's fantastic. But unfortunately, you got out of bed and the rest of the day started. <laughs> or, <laughs> or, or even made it past lunch. And then you got into it with a coworker or a family member or a friend or the TV because of the politician that's speaking on the other side of it. And your maturity just sort of fell off. What this reminds us is that we have the capacity within our lives to have parts of our lives that are just going wonderfully maturely, if that's a word, well, while at the same time, parts of our lives on the same day, almost in the same breath, are just absolute train wrecks and messes. Journaling helps us see ourselves and it helps us track it and wonder why and then take it to the next level Why did I react that way? What is going on in me that I would do such a thing? I had an experience like this in, in college I'll tell myself actually it was my seminary degree So I was working on my master's and it was a Pete goes to school moment uh, Which I did not enjoy It was summer and my professor Bill Clemens who was you know a leading writer on all things spirituality um, he came into the office uh, special to meet with me at 9 a.m. on this particular weekday. Otherwise, he wouldn't have come in that day. I don't know what was going on in my life, but I did not make it there on time, not even close. I was like 9.15, 9.20 is when I finally waltzed into the office. And because I'd always had a positive relationship with Bill in the past and we'd chatted up and it was all good, I just walked in, happy-go-lucky Pete, you know, Mr. Positivity, hey, Bill, what's going on? And I noticed immediately he was not a happy camper. It was not that kind of tone at all. In fact, uh, he didn't even look at me. He's messing with some papers around his desk. He says, what time is it? And I said, oh, yeah, sorry, man. Uh, run a little bit late today. And he said, let me tell you something. We said 9 o'clock. And when you didn't show up at 9 o'clock, you offended me. Because you essentially were saying that your time and your schedule was more important than my time. And your commitment to me, you decided, was worth breaking. And you just kind of left it there. And I'm like, <laughs> how do we backpedal out of this? Well, that's a lesson that mostly stuck. I don't, I'm not late much. Uh, I'm generally on time. I'm usually early. Uh, because I heard that message, and I've heard it repeatedly from people throughout my life, not necessarily coming at me, usually talking about other people uh, who were late. And one, one guy I remember, you know, he would just flat out say, you're selfish when you're late, because you're saying you're more important than me, or you're more important than that person when you're late. And those words stick. So there's a surface level there of wisdom teaching that happened, but, 
But if you journal this stuff out and take some time with it, you find out that it's tapping into other stuff that's related to your personality, about what really drives you, how you think about things or don't think about things. The Enneagram is incredibly helpful. I think it's a great tool. Uh, it's not the answer all. It's not a psychological tool like the MMP, whatever number it's up to, but it's, it's important as a mirror because it gives you a reflection of who you are. And so I gave you a link to that in my blog. Spend the 12 bucks and take the test and get the result. It's going to tell you uh, what you look like when you're at the peak of maturity, when everything is going great. It's going to have three areas of that wonderful zone. It's going to have three areas of the average zone when you're just kind of healthy-ish. And it's going to have three levels of what, what it looks like when you've gone a little off the rails and you're not really attuned anymore to the Spirit of God. Those things are informative for us, and I highly recommend that as a lifelong exercise of checking in. So just take a pause. Who are your mirrors? What are your mirrors? When was the last time you looked in the metaphorical mirror to ask yourself, am I still maturing or am I just getting older? Is my stature increasing? And if so, is it increasing toward beauty and all the things of God? Or am I just becoming like a hot air pol politician that's just blowing smoke and nobody really cares and it's not, it's, it is not winning the favor of God <laughs> or many other people? How are you developing? Because if we're Jesus followers, Jesus is one who is a lifelong maturing person. And, you know, we can look at this as a task list, like, oh, thanks, Pete. I didn't want to be burdened today. I just wanted to enjoy some football. But look at it in a different framework. This is an invitation to life. <laughs> this is an invitation to beautiful life. It's not always easy, but it's good. We can trust God to be good with what God does. We can trust God's intentions for us to be shalom for our well-being. We can trust God's future for us to be oriented toward shalom, not just for us, but our relationships, our country, our county, the world, the environment, the creatures in the world, all of it. That's a beautiful thing. It's not a burden, even if it's sometimes not fun. Another thing, and this is the way we're going to end today, uh, is to start your day off uh, right. To start your day off focused on what is possible. And for that, we're going to do an exercise with the prayer of St. Francis, which I'm guessing most of you, if not all of you, have heard before. And you're going to experience this three ways. The first way you're going to experience it is sitting there listening to me read it while you watch the words fly by, because there is a way your brain interacts with hearing it and seeing it at the same time. Then you're going to hear this expressed in music by a, a ranger uh, called uh, John, or named John Rudder. I've been in choirs that have sung this rendition. It's gorgeous. Uh, it is sung by a choir, an Indonesian choir in Indonesia. And I thought that was a cool little thing uh, because this is a Christian prayer being sung in Indonesia where the greatest concentration of Muslims are. And then we're going to finally conclude our service by just saying it out loud because your brain deals with that differently. So you have a moment for your brain to just take it in. You have a moment for your heart to swell with this music and take it in again. You know what the words are, so you don't have to make them out with the chorus every time. Just experience the music and the message that the music is giving you, and then your brain's going to get it one more time in a different way by, uh, by spitting it out yourself. All right, here we go. 
Lord, make me an instrument. Don't say it yet. This is my turn. <laughs> Even though you want to. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O oh, divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life, both metaphorically and literally. Amen. Enjoy. Make sure it's nice and loud. Thank you.
stand with me for our benediction. I invite you as we say this prayer out loud for ourselves now, that you've heard me say it, you've heard it expressed in this beautiful music, to put yourself in a posture of prayer. And one simple way is like this if you want, if you want your hands open like this, whatever is a prayerful posture for you, let's say this together. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Thank you for coming. Hope you have a great rest of the day, great week. Go Chiefs, go Niners. We'll see you next week.